Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. So I'm Zoe, married to Chris, and today I'm going to be talking to you from Mark chapter 6. And for those of us that haven't been here, um, over the last um, couple of months, we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark and going through it kind of book at a time. And we've had a couple of weeks off because we've had some exciting guest speakers and family service and things like that. Um, but today we're going to be back in chapter six. And you might remember the last time we were in Mark, um, it was the, the um, account of the demonised man set free and then sent off by Jesus to go and tell his family about what God, God had done for him. And we talked about how Jesus restored his dignity and his purpose. And then here in Mark chapter 6, we see Jesus, we're just going to read the first snippet, um, and we see Jesus going back to his hometown of Nazareth to share the message of God's kingdom coming to earth. And I want you to leave today uh, with the confidence that you're called by God, and it doesn't always mean things are going to go smoothly, but it does mean that we can stop striving to gain approval. So Sarah's going to come up and read the passage for us, and it should appear on the screen behind us. Jesus rejected at Nazareth. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and power to perform such miracles? Then they stopped. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honoured everywhere except in his own hometown, and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them, except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Thank you, Sarah. Okay, so when I started prepping this, I'm planning to do like two bits. There's loads of bits in Mark. I planned to do two of them. And then I started on this one and I was like, oh, there's so much. <laughs> We're just going to have to stick to this one. Um, and I have put a lot into it, so a lot of stuff into it, so apologies for that, but hopefully I'll keep your attention. Um, so in this passage, we're reading about Jesus going back to his hometown of Nazareth and beginning to teach in the synagogue. And the synagogue is a bit like the church for us. It was a temple where the Jews went to learn from the scriptures and worship God. Um, and we see the people's reaction to Jesus, and it's really not good, is it? Um, and I think there are some lessons for us to learn from this passage, and some questions to ask ourselves. Um, and the questions that I would um, put forward are, who are we discrediting? Who are we allowing to discredit us? And are there any areas of my life where there's a determined refusal to believe? And I should pop up behind us. Sorry, Mark, I didn't want to that one. Okay, so question number one. Who is God going to use in our lives that we might be discrediting? So, 
We see that the Nazarenes from the outset just totally disregarded Jesus, didn't they? He was the most qualified person to come and teach them and show them the power of God. But they questioned him, said, where did he get these things? What's the wisdom that's been given to him? And how are such mighty things done by his hands? Um, and you'd think, having known Jesus, that they welcomed him with open arms, ready to hear what he was going to say. Maybe they'd heard about all the things he'd been up to, um, but they didn't. And I'm going to suggest a few reasons why they might have done this. Um, and I think those same reasons can apply to us when we disqualify or discredit people that God might want to use. Um, I think one, we can be jealous of what people have, and so we put them down to make ourselves feel better. Um, two, I think we can automatically think we're better than them already, so why don't we need to listen to that person? Um, or we become over familiar with the person, so we shut up our ears and we stop hearing what they say. So with regards to the first point, I think it's really jealous, really easy sorry, to be jealous when someone else is doing well. If I asked you to put your hands up, we probably are all guilty of that at some point in our lives, aren't we? And I think maybe the Nazarenes were jealous of Jesus' knowledge of scripture because it made them feel inadequate. Maybe they were jealous that this man who'd been a young boy in their town um, was coming back and doing miracles that they could never have dreamed of performing. And if you ever felt those feelings of jealousy rise up, it could be because you see someone else with a gift that you don't have. It could be that they're rooted in deep disappointment at not seeing things come to pass in your life that you believe were promised. For me, I've had a number of people speak to me about God using my hands for healing. And it comes to part of my job, so there's always a, you know, opportunity to interpret it in that way. But I've always felt that there was more to those words um, and that God was going to use me to impart his healing in more supernatural ways. And that's happened on rare occasions, but it's been rare. It's not happened in the way that I would have envisioned. Um, and I've prayed for lots of people and really hoped that God would do something, and it hasn't gone how I thought it would go. And so sometimes when I see people being praying for others and being healed, my instant reaction can be to discredit them and to say, mm, well, you can't really prove that that leg's grown, can you? Or, um, you know, how are you going to prove that that uh, lung condition is better? Um, and I think in a way, and that's sin in my heart, um, and in a way I think this is what the Nazarenes were doing. They were um, chatting off his, his gifting. And it's not okay because it caused Jesus to withdraw from that place and it shut the door on his power. The other reason I mentioned is that we can think we're better or more qualified than another person, so we decide not to listen. And I think this is what the people did as well, didn't they? They look at their wordings. It's not James the carpenter, uh, son of Mary, the one that was not married at the time. Um, you know, they discredited him and they were basically saying, who does he think he is to come tell me or teach me? And we've got to really be careful not to do this in our lives, not to be quick to discredit people who God might put in our lives <coughs> to shape us and to teach us, because we miss out. Um, and there are loads of reasons, aren't there, why we might think that we're better than someone else. Maybe you're close to correction, challenge, encouragement even, from someone younger than you. 
And uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because it's very likely that Chris is younger than a lot of us here. Not me. <laughs> a year and six days. Uh, I'm the younger one. Um, but God has put him here. God has anointed him. God has qualified him. And so we shouldn't discredit him based on his age related to us or any characteristics that we may uh, think makes him less than us. And of course, there are some qualities that will make what Chris does or says more credible. You know, he can't spend no time reading his Bible or praying um, and expect to be walking in everything that God has got for him and for us as a church. There are, so there are some things that he and we can and should do to be more credible, and we'll touch on that a bit later. Or maybe you're really qualified, you work in a job that has required a lot of skill and qualification, you're really educated, and so when someone else from a less educated background speaks, you shut off your ears. And that's absolutely not the way the gospel is it. Um, I think the next slide has got this first, but it says in 1 Corinthians, God, remember dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. That's great, isn't it? So let's be really clear. God uses those who you and I might think are, by the world's standards, are foolish, weak, or unqualified. And if you close your ears to people that you wrongly thought are lesser than yourself, then we're very possibly closing our ears to one of the issues that God might speak into our lives with. And despite Jesus not meeting their standards, he was absolutely qualified, wasn't he? The Bible says in Philippians that Jesus was by very nature God. And we also see that when John baptised Jesus, that God the Father said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Um, so God was pleased with the work he was doing. Jesus was absolutely qualified, yet the Nazarenes still disqualified him. And they missed out because they missed his most important qualifications. And then going back to that list of three reasons, um, familiarity is the other thing that can cause us to shut off our ears. And have you ever heard the saying, familiarity breeds contempt? Um, and I think this is probably happening here also. Um, contempt basically is a fancy word, isn't it? That means the feeling that another person or thing is worthless or beyond consideration. So the Nazarenes knew Jesus, they were familiar with him, maybe they remembered him when he was a toddler or when he was a young boy learning carpentry and they decided that what he had to say wasn't worth their consideration. And I think this can be really easy for us to do. Um, I think we can ready ourselves to receive from God more at the big festival or the online teacher or a big event. Got slide. Festival. Christmas, like, that's a pretty confident thing. <laughs> actual festival. I've got nothing against Festival Manchester, okay? Um, and we can almost be tempted to close our ears on a Sunday morning because it's familiar, we do it every week. Um, but the teaching we receive on a Sunday morning is there to be our regular input, our regular feeding, to challenge us, to nourish us, to encourage us, to stir us, to envision us. 
And so we've got to be careful not to only expect those things to happen when we work for the event. Um, and those things are not bad in and of themselves at all. We've just had our big church weekend away in Amsterdam, haven't we? And I don't know about you, but I just loved it. It's amazing, God spoke in wonderful ways. Um, so it's not bad in and of itself. We've got nothing against the festival, but let's not let familiarity with our regular teaching lead us to what God uh, might be speaking to us as individuals and the church. And I think a good question to leave every week with is to say, what's God spoken into my life today? And I think that question gears us up to be ready, to be hearing, to be acting on and being stirred by the word of God every week. Okay, so that's about the people discrediting Jesus. And I think another thing we can do from that first three points was we can discredit ourselves based on other people's opinions. Um, and we've got to be careful not to do this. Um, we've just seen how quick the people were to shut off to Jesus. And let's face it, if they rejected him, then it would be stupid to think that we can go through life uh, happily sharing the gospel, living out our faith, with no pushback or opposition. Second Timothy, this one might be on this one, I think it's one, um, says, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And just like all your promises are yes and amen. That's one of them, yeah? Um, so, you know, some people are going to hear the message of the gospel and they're going to receive it with open arms, but some people are going to resist it and some people are going to hate you for it. Um, and it's very likely that for us here today, the most persecution we face is maybe being poked fun at, maybe being rejected by our friends or family. But we heard last week, didn't we, from our friends at Eastside that there are many people who risk their lives for the gospel. Um, and, you know, our friends from Eastside had to flee to the UK for their safety. So people will discredit us, reject us, persecute us. So we need to be sure that we know the value of our message and God's calling on us to share it. Because otherwise, we're going to be rocked this way and that way. Um, and getting our validation from people rather than God is a very slippery slope. And I guarantee from personal experience <laughs> that eventually it will leave you exhausted and feeling inadequate as you cling on trying to gain everybody's approval. So, where does that qualification come from? So, 2 Timothy 1, chapter 8, chapter 9, sorry, says, I've got a different translation on my uh, notes, which I'm reading from here. But God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And the translation that I have actually says, he saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Do you really believe that today? Um, do you really know that God Almighty has called you as an individual um, and it's because of his grace and his purpose that you've been qualified, not because of anything that you've done? Um, just to read that again, I think it's so important to let that really sink in. God has saved you and called you to a holy calling, not because of you, but because of his grace. Um, really let that soak in because when we get our qualification from that, 
we can stop striving for approval, and others' opinion of us can no longer disqualify us. And sometimes we disqualify ourselves based on our own overcritical assessment of our own qualifications. We might put ourselves down because we feel less than others. Um, maybe we don't feel that we know our Bible as well as someone else. Um, or maybe we feel like our slightly rough around the edges approach to things or our upbringing disqualifies us. We can be really unkind in the way that we think about ourselves. Because let's face it, we've all got flaws, haven't we? And if we all focused on them, we'd all be feeling very down right now. Um, we need to line our thoughts up with what God says about us. And like we saw earlier, the Bible says you've been saved and called. He calls you daughter or son of the king, the apple of his eye. So spend, your, spend your time feeding yourself with those things. Um, and the Bible is really clear, isn't it, about how God uses the unqualified. Chris gave a little spoiler earlier, didn't he, about David the liar. Because it's demonstrated throughout the whole Bible that God uses those who are totally unqualified, whose society has, has, has mocked um, or says is not good enough to bring about his kingdom. And if we look at a handful of examples of this, it shared the group really well. Thanks, Mark. And so David, as a puny little shepherd, the youngest brother, the one who wasn't even out of battle, and the only reason he was there was because he was delivering his brother's pack lunch. Um, I love that. Um, yet God used him to slay Goliath, a giant who everyone else was quivering and terrified of. And what were David's qualifications? He stepped out and he trusted God, and God did the rest. Um, I don't think David was looking at himself, telling himself, I'm only here to deliver a pat lunch, and all those things that I've just mentioned. He was looking at God. Moses, the murderer, who ran away from the consequence of his actions, ran away from his people, but was chosen to go and deliver God's people from Pharaoh. And you remember, Moses was too afraid to even speak, but God used him to deliver um, the Israelites despite his weakness. Think of Esther, an orphan Jew, being raised by her uncle, who God placed in the palace just because she was pretty, she got chosen because she was pretty, um, and used her dinner party to stop the massacre of the Jews. Incredible. Um, and Peter, who was a disciple and friend of Jesus, pledged his allegiance to him and then denied him three times. And just imagine that you're about to be killed and your best friend, your spouse, your family member, pretends that they don't even know you. But despite this, Jesus appeared to Peter first after the resurrection, and Peter went on to become a prominent leader of the early church. Despite his stuff up, Jesus used him and qualified him. So God is no stranger to people's lack of qualification, but he chooses to use us despite that. In fact, it's often absolutely essential, because when we feel we're qualified in and of ourselves, it leaves very little room for God to move. God wants us to know that it's him who qualifies and sends us. And if we think back to the talk on the man who'd been delivered from the legion of demons, what was it that qualified him to go, go back to his hometown and tell his people the good news of Jesus? He hadn't gone on a leadership course, he hadn't um, you know, gone on a Bible study course, no. He'd encountered Jesus and then Jesus sent him. And God will use you and me in our mess and give us a job to do. And not everyone's going to receive that well. 
but God will have people that you love well. And, you know, talking about knowing the importance of God choosing us and calling us. So not long ago, I started an extra role in my job. And that extra role meant that I now train up some other people at work. And honestly, when I started it, I had a major crisis of confidence. Um, I felt a spotlight on me and I felt so unqualified. What are they going to ask me? What if I don't know the answers? What if they think I'm stupid? All these things. And it leaked into even in my job, which I'm very good at, um, and made me feel totally insecure in my day-to-day work. And if I'm honest, I also noticed the way some of the trainees responded to me, a young woman, compared to my older male colleagues. Um, and, it, and it was, you know, really unsettling. And but the reason I applied for that role was because one of my colleagues, who was my trainer, had said, Zoe, you should do that role. You go for that role. Uh, he told me why he thought I would be good at it. He encouraged me to go for it. So when I doubted myself, I remembered Ed chose me for this. Ed's really smart. Ed, Ed can play chess blindfolded against multiple people and win them all. Ed's smart and Ed chose me. Um, and it gave me confidence. And God has called you and chosen you. And um, we read earlier, didn't we? He saved you and called you to a holy calling. Let's remember who's called us. And I know as a new Christian as well, I often disqualify myself in a prayer meeting or life group with seasoned Christians who knew lots of stuff. Uh, there's often a sense of, oh, I've got nothing to bring to this room, who am I? Um, I don't know how to pray, I've got a little bit of faith. Um, people have got nothing to learn from me. So actually, I want to encourage you, if you're new in your faith, or wherever you are in your faith, that the opposite can be true. And I know that over the years of being Christian, actually, it's often people who are younger in their faith um, that have really encouraged me and spurred me on. This is often a lack of cynicism and a fresh enthusiasm. And so we've got a lot to learn from that. Um, and it can be such a blessing to others. So be confident in what God has put in you and don't disqualify yourself like the Nazarenes disqualified Jesus. Um, and you know, we looked at how Jesus was totally qualified to speak to the Nazarenes and they still rejected him, but it's helpful to look at because of course God qualifies us, but we still have some things to do as well. You know, it's not. It is that easy, but it's not that easy. Um, so it's helpful to look at Jesus' life as a benchmark for the things that we should be doing as well. Um, and there are a few things, aren't there? He, he knew the scriptures. We see at the age of 12, he was found at the temple. His parents had lost him for three days. Um, hilarious. And when they found him, he was sitting among the teachers, um, asking questions and listening, and it says they were amazed by his answers and understandings. From a young age, Jesus got to know the word of God. I think too, Jesus spent time with his father, he prayed, and multiple accounts in the Bible of Jesus going off to pray, I think they're about 25 times recorded in the Gospels. So our prayer lives are important, Jesus showed us that. And also, Jesus was incredibly kind. He reached out to those who were hurting, afflicted, unwell, on the fringe, rejected, despised. Um, Jesus modelled something to us of God's kindness. So yes, God absolutely qualifies us despite our stuff-ups and inadequacies. 
and we're also called to follow the example of Jesus. So who's God going to use in this building? Um, it's exciting, isn't it? God is not going to reach North Birmingham through Chris and James. Um, he's going to use every single one of you, um, playing your own part. And when I look out of this room, it's lots of people away, lots of missed spaces. But even today, with less people here, I see loads of different personalities, different giftings, different races, different genders. And, um, you know, God will have people specifically for us each to reach. Um, so he wants you to know the qualification he's given you and the way you should walk with him so that you can get out there and play your part. And we could wrap up there, but then I'd be missing a very important part of this passage as well. And that's the third question, which was about where are we displaying a determined refusal to believe God? Um, it's hard to ignore that bit of passage, isn't it? And it's a hard thing to wrestle with. It says, Jesus marveled at their unbelief and could do no mighty work there. Okay. Um, and firstly, I want to clarify that this is not talking about doubt. Doubt is when we question, thank you Mark, um, when we question what we believe. And the Bible is full of examples of it. Look, take Peter walking on water. He believed in Jesus, the only one that stepped out of the boat actually. Um, but then he started to question and doubt. And what happened? Jesus reached out, grabbed him, rescued him. And when Thomas doubted that Jesus had come back to life and wanted, said, I could only believe if I put my fingers in his wounds, Jesus came to him and allowed him to do that. So we all have doubts, and what we see of Jesus is that he comes alongside us in our doubts. Unbelief, that's talking about in this passage, is different altogether. It could be defined as the determined refusal to believe. It's not questioning, but it's making a clear decision and an act of the will to not believe something. If you remember, Mike spoke to us about the parable of the seeds, and it's a bit like the seeds sown on the path that was hard and rocky, it's impenetrable hearts. Um, and Jesus himself was limited in this place because the people did not want to believe him. They heard his amazing wisdom, tells you that, they heard his mighty words, but they shut the door and they said, no thanks. Um, and there might be some of us here in that place, and honestly, the scripture is pretty clear, uh, where there's a determined refusal to believe, to shut the door on Jesus, he might walk away. Um, and our hearts need to be open for him to work. And I think it's worth examining our lives as well and asking the question, what are we having a determined refusal to believe in? Where might we be limiting the work of God in our lives? It could be related to what we talked about earlier. Maybe you're refusing to believe the things that God speaks over you. You're self-deprecating. Maybe you hear that God accepts you, but you constantly tell yourself that you're not good enough. Maybe it's related to a lifestyle. Maybe you absolutely know that something you're doing is 100% wrong, but you refuse to believe that God's standards are important for you. Could be refusal to stop flirting with your work, maybe, to stop disrespecting your parents. Maybe it's persistent dishonesty or getting wasted at the weekends. It could be that the message of Jesus and his offer of forgiveness has been presented to you multiple times and you refuse to believe. 
Maybe you see signs of him working, but you act like the Nazarenes. And the Holy Spirit often does this, doesn't, doesn't he? Brings up things to mind when we hear these kind of things. And even now, you're quickly reinforcing the wall of determined refusal. And it didn't go well for the Nazarenes. Jesus left, couldn't do very much there because their hearts were completely closed to him and they were in direct opposition to him. So ask Jesus if there are any areas in your life where you might be doing this. Um, so to wrap up, I think looking at this passage today, there are a number of themes. And honestly, it's been really hard to pack them all into this short talk. First, we must be careful not to discredit Jesus. Take him at his word. He's completely worthy of our trust. He's been sent by God the Father, and he's by very nature God. Let's not close our ears like the Nazarenes did and miss out on what he's got to say. We also need to remember that we are called and sent by God, so let's not disqualify ourselves when it's God who qualifies us. And let's not focus on the superficial qualifications that the world might, or like the Nazarenes did, but let's copy Jesus' life and works. Those are the things that are important. And lastly, fixed, determined refusal to believe Jesus will limit his work in your life. And if you're in that position, then I urge you to soften your heart and be open to hearing his message. Jesus was there to tell them some really good news. That new kingdom was coming where he swapped our mess for his perfection for free. And all we need to do is believe and not be determined to resist him.